0: We're in Isaiah the 45th, I mean the 55th chapter, 12th verse. I thought I was going to couple the 12th and the 13th verse together, but after dissecting and looking at it, I think they're going to have to stand alone, even though they're uh, pointing toward a, a togetherness idea here. But the 12th verse says, For ye shall go out with joy. And be led forth with peace. The mountains and hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Some of those things are not, I don't think it's, well I know it's not literal in the sense of the, because especially when it says uh, the trees and the field shall clap their hands. But, it's a condition of a converted people it's something that we go out when converted leaving captivity when leaving out of the world I was listening at one guy preaching this and he was criticizing some other people and some other books and other preachers and teachings on this and I think with his criticism I ended up against him I think think the criticism that he was leveling I didn't I don't agree with it because the Bible tells us the old testament was written for our admonition. Yes. So the types and shadows of things that we draw from it from it a lot of times are spiritual things and as Jesus said to the site the disciples what I say to one I say to all. And if we all died in Adam some of the things may not be literally in a specific circumstance or situation but i think the broad applications of it uh you're not allegorizing uh, you're not uh symbolizing the whole thing away or whatever and he was talking about uh the pe- he was criticizing a lot of people that preach from Jeremiah about that, he knows his plans for that. God knows his plans for the people, and that at that time Jeremiah were talking to the capt- captives in Babylon. But I think, looking at it from a Gentile perspective, I think we can take we can take that verse and applies to us that God does know the plans and purposes He has for each and every one of us. Since he created us from the foundations of the world and design, he had predestinated all of us. So if he predestinated us, that means he designed something for us, a way for us to be, a way for us to walk in. And that's why I think the Gentiles receive joy. That's their joy and their peace, and they enter into that everlasting covenant with God after repentance and being birthed into the family of God and being received by God and that we can experience that joy that he's talking about here when he calls us out of Babylon just as he called those people out of Babylon during Jeremiah's time when he said he know the plans and purposes for them and that they were to leave captivity he tells us to leave Babylon the spiritual Babylon the Babylon of this world so, I think he was dead wrong. This guy, he. See, you have to watch when you're criticizing people and talking and trying to dethrone or take away from what someone else has preached or whatever. But you ask God to give you an understanding of what he's saying or what you can bring out there since the word is an active and is a living word. So, we're looking at spiritual joy, spiritual joy. So. Ezra, in the book of Ezra, the 6th chapter, the 22nd verse, it says, They observed the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with joy, for the Lord had caused them to rejoice, and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them, so that he had encouraged them and strengthened their hands in the work of the house of God, that is, the house of Israel. Now, I don't know how far he would have studied this and looked at it, though. But when he say the king of Assyria, he's talking about Cyrus here. Yeah. And we know Cyrus wasn't the king of Assyria. But Cyrus had captured that region when he captured Babylon. When the people were captured by Babylon... It was Cyrus that caused him to return from captivity. You remember he told them all, of that, all that wanted to go back and build the house of the Lord, that the Lord had given him this to do to release the captives and to send them back to build the house in Babylon. So we know it wasn't set a chair by any of the Assyrian kings who had done this, but we know that here he's talking about Cyrus. So when Nehemiah and the people were rejoicing, it's just like I said, we rejoice at the church of God at this day and time. I'm rejoicing wherever I see any church of God. Whenever I see God's people released and start to raise up the name of God, I'm rejoicing and happy just as I am in the midst of our congregation. I'm rejoicing that others would return and worship God the Lord, and the return from captivity, which the Psalm 126 and 2 talks about. It says, One Psalm 126 and 2 says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with joy for shouting. Then they said among the nations, The Lord had done great things for them. So the people were happy when they returned from Babylon back to Judah and back to Jerusalem The start. Building the house of God. And the people around them were saying that the Lord has done great things for them. Not that anybody else had. It's just the Lord had done great things for them. So we go out with joy. We have to look at that God gives us joy. And I'm going to define joy for us Saturday. I mean Sunday a little bit more broadly. Doing Bible study Sunday and preaching on the Sabbath day knuckle crowded out this afternoon the blessings of a spiritual life Isaiah 61 and 10 because from his perspective he he, I I don't understand what you know I kind of understand it's just that a lot of times we would rather knock somebody else down and still build on our own build our own preaching and teaching some people feel good knocking other people down or whatever Isaiah 61 and 10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom puts on a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. He's rejoicing and his joy is filled because the spirit of God has started to put on He's, that's why I said this is to a people that have been born again and no matter how young you are in the in the faith and there are those that has left their first love there are those that initially is not as hot, hot as they were for the Lord once before like the lay of the sin people but once you experience this joy of salvation This joy of your burdens being laid down and you cast all your cares upon the Lord. When you are born again, there's no feeling that can be described. This is an undescribable feeling, an unspeakable joy and peace enters into you. That's why he says he gives us a joy that no man can take away. He gives us a peace that nobody can take away. So this is not a feeling. And that's why I say I want to define it against happiness. Against the emotional or carnal joy. Because with this joy, you can lose this joy. Listen to what I'm saying. You can lose this, this joy in the sense of peace quenching the spirit David seems to have lost his joy with his sin with Bathsheba by sinning with Bathsheba through that year he in the 51st Psalm we hear him saying strengthen the bones or repair the bones and heal the bones that he had broken he says restore unto him the joy of his salvation He didn't say restore his salvation, he says the joy of his salvation. So sometimes we can serve the Lord not very happily as Peter walked away dejectedly and upset he had denied he ever knew the Lord. There are different things that cause us to maybe dampen our joy, but it's not God that's doing that. That's something that we had allowed a border or something to be broken down in our lives because God is with us. we just allowing something else to happen because it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. It didn't say the strength of the Lord is our strength. It says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we know joy has a consistency, and that's something that God does have is Consistency. Yes. And that's our strength. And we can give strength, we can give power to the enemy. We do that in a lot of our actions and things that we carry out or whatever. The delights when we say the del- delight here, we're talking about joy of being happy. The delight of God's word. Jeremiah fifteenth, chapter and sixteenth verse says Thine words were found, and I did eat them. And thine word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. He ate. We came to the table of God. He found God's word. Somebody gave him the word, the meditation of that word. He found it, and it was the joy and the rejoicing of his heart. He says, For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Now in the living version, that same verse where it reads, Your words are what sustain me. Your words sustain me. They are food to my hungry soul. They bring joy to my sorrowing heart and delight me. That's why it says sing songs. you go to go out with singing because a joyful man, joy down in my soul, joy down in my my sorrowing heart if i would meditate on the word of god meditate and sing psalms and think about the promises of god he's the lifter of my head he i don't have any reason to hang my head that's why i said the angels don't know about joy uh, the joy of having sins forgiven when you look back about what you have been or what you have done the joy of your salvation is that God has forgiven me of all these sins. There's no condemnation in me. That gives me joy right there. That gives me an inner joy. He says, how proud I am to bear your name, O Lord. The times of spiritual refreshing. At times of spiritual refreshing. In the book of Acts, the 8th chapter, when Philip went down to Samaria and preached God's word. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many were taken with palsy, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. The living, uh, the living Version says there was great joy in that city. Yes. There was rejoicing in that city because the bondage had been broken. God was healing. God was causing unclean spirits to leave out of the people, the people that were possessed. There were many miracles worked. The lame walked. Those with palsy were healed. He had sent his word to heal. The people seen this miraculous going on, and it was great joy in the city. That was something that had came from God. Only God can give a joy that can't be quenched, can't be taken away. They would have kept this consistency if they'd have continued on in God's word. God's word strengthens us. It never weakens us. So if, if we find ourselves in difficult situations, as Job did, as Job did, it's God's Word that we're depending upon. It's God's Word that restore that, that inner man. It, regard, it was God's Word that Job was taking solace in. That's what we have is His Word. The love of Christ, the love of Christ... 1 Peter 1 and 8, it says, Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You hadn't seen Christ, but believing upon him, this is a word of faith, this is something that had came unto them, We rejoice with unspeakable joy. That's why I say, this is to the church. This is to those that are born again. This is to those that experience that joy. That's why it says, they shall go out with joy. So if you hadn't had this joy, if you hadn't been born again, because we know joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. I'll talk about that Sunday also. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So this is something that God produces in his saints. That's why I said if we are full of God's joy, if we are strengthened by the Lord, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So that's something that can be dissipated. That's what I said. If we are getting joy from God, That's being produced by God. See, only God can produce true joy. Now, you can be happy and have different feelings or have carnal or worldly joy about your team winning the Super Bowl, about getting married, about emotional and passionate things or whatever. But those don't last. The same joy and rejoicing you had the day that you were married, you can have a different type feeling the day that you divorced that same individual. The joy that you had when that child was born and came into the world, if that child leaves before you leave, the sadness and the 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 the, the feeling that you feel on that on that child or that parent of that individual's death. So those come and go. But this joy that God gives us it's in Christ and he gives it something no man take it away that which God give, so the blessings, the salvation of God no man can take your salvation when God gives you salvation he says you have eternal life there's no one can pluck you out of his hand that's a, that's a gift once God gives that you have eternal life nobody can take that back God had given it to you Uh, the Living Version reads Whom having not seen you love, uh, in whom thou now ye see him not, yet believing you rejoice with unspeakable joy, full of glory. I don't, I don't know why I put that verse in there. It says the same as the previous verse. Joy in service to God. There's a lot of joy in working in service for God and it's found by the faithful saints and working for God. Now, there's a lot of people that naturally like to do good for others. There's others that are given to philanthropy after they get a certain amount of wealth or whatever they love, giving it away. They love doing good for others. That's why I say there are those that love doing good works, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a joy from God That's a natural joy because there are those that will do all of those things and the Lord will say, I never knew you. But it's that you receive joy from doing good for others, that you receive joy for helping others and casting out devils or whatever. So your joy is in the work and not in the Lord, but there are are those that receive joy from doing the work of the Lord. Nehemiah 12 and 43 says also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the husbands, the wives also and the children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off, so that the people were doing service to God that rebuilt the temple. They were restoration had came. And they were offering up sacrifices. It was a Passover they were having. The priest did the work, and they delighted in these things and rejoicing. You rejoice to come in and set the table for the Lord and for others to come in, and that we do the work of God. You re- we rejoice in the work of God. Psalms 40 and 8 says, I delight to do thine will, O my God. Yea, thine law is within my heart as the in the New Testament in the book of First John it says we love thy commandments and we keep thy commandments and they're not grievous unto us we see a world we want to be in a world that thy will be done and thy kingdom come and we try to bring that forth by doing good works yes. that's the reason for our good works we've turned to do the good works that's what's required of us doing good works We should take pleasure in doing that which is good. Now we know sometimes that we have to resist a slothful spirit, a spirit of complaining, a sluggishness, because sometimes that's the flesh, and that's how you mortify the flesh, and you can't gain joy from God from the accomplishment of that the spirit has driven you to do this good work contrary to the flesh holding back we quench not the spirit or grieve the spirit we press on we press on it's like in the morning time getting up instead of laying back down hitting the snooze you go on and press on and go to work or do what you have to do So sometimes we have to work contrary to our fleshly, a carnal nature, and that's the joy and happiness that we rejoice in, that we continue to do the work of God. Psalm 126 and 5 says, He who goes back and forth weeping, carrying his bag of seed for planting, will indeed come again with a shout of joy, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So if you continually go out speaking God's word, sowing the word, doing what he says, making disciples, doubtless you'll come back rejoicing and singing and bringing your sheaves with you because God says his word won't return unto him void. That's what we studied last week, that his word accomplished the purpose that it's been sent to. So whether these people are converted or not, you feel good having told them what the Word has said, what God's Word has said. And so we are accomplishing a purpose, and sometimes that Word returns fivefold, tenfold, seventyfold, and sometimes a hundredfold. But it's up to God, God giving to increase the book of Luke we're talking about giving out the word in the book of Luke the 10th chapter in the 17th verse we see why it says and the 70 return again with joy saying Lord even the devils are subject unto us in thy name through thy name so they came back with great joy in their heart so by God supplying the joy they were strengthened. They received joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It what strengthens us, but it produces joy in us. And remember, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a spiritual bringing about that God may bring about through much pruning, through whatever way or whatever way, uh, the device God use I have of God brings that about he brings that about in our lives the book of John the fourth chapter and this is the last one I shall be doing when I go by verse on that John the fourth chapter and the 36th verse and you need, may need to read the whole con- chapter to give context to the dialogue that Jesus had entered in with his disciples here And he says, Already the reaper is receiving his wages and he's gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who plants and he who reaps may rejoice together. So you remember I said Apollos planted, Paul planted, Apollos watered, God give it to increase. We see it in the old testament about sowing and reaping. But here he says, Already is the day coming. We'll read this in the living version with a start, a few verses up from there. It says, Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So Jesus' food, his nourishment, his strength came from doing the will of God, the one who had sent him. So we in like manner apply that same verse to us, because what he said to one, he said to all, and we are the. He's a, our example. You remember I told you the Old Testament was an example unto us, where well, we see Christ as our perfect example. And if Jesus says my nourishment comes from doing the will of God, our nourishment and strength comes from doing the will of God. We're to go about that that His will be done. He says, do you think the work of harvesting will not begin until the summer ends four months from now? He says, look around you. Vast fields of human souls are already ripening all around us and are ready now for reaping. In other words, there are so many souls out there. God's word is out there. People have been planting the evangelists, the People that have been doing the work of the evangelists, the preaching and teaching. And in this latter days, we need more laborers to bring in the harvest. That's why I always pray. God send more labor into the fields to help bring in the harvest. The souls are ready. He says, the reapers will be paid good wages and will be gathering eternal souls into the granaries of heaven. What joy awaits the heart and the reaper both together. For it is true that one sows and someone else reaps. I sent you to reap where you didn't sow. Others did the work and you received the harvest. So now just like it falls upon us for what our parents did and others did, the shoulders that had many before went ahead. And as a African-American people, there are many people during slavery time and fought against many different rebellious things. And just as we see that, uh, the other day I was reading in the paper about some of the Hispanics and the people who had came in from Mexico and was reaping during the crawfish season and working for some of the places in our, the southwestern part of the state where a, a crawfish factory and the where they you know, put together the crawfish and peel the crawfish and harvest the crawfish and how they wasn't getting paid and they were trying to form labor unions and everything. A lot of them got fired and a lot of them lost and was deported back or whatever but the Biden administration passed some laws and now they're starting to reap the benefits of what those people had went through They're getting treated a little bit better And that's why I say as African Americans We can understand some of the things Our forefathers and parents went through So sometime others labor And we reap the harvest of the benefits We walk in benefits Just like God told his people You'll live in homes you didn't build You'll have cities and things that you enjoy, and, and crops that you didn't plant. So God gives us joy, and that's what I say. We have to see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. What that—that's why we have to enter in that by being born again when we pray, our Father. That's why we can't pray our Father until we're born again and realize. What a great father and how hallowed his name is. Joy, godly joy, godly joy. Ecclesiastes 11 and 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thine heart cheer thee in the days of thine youth. Walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that this, that for all things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thine heart and put away evil from thine flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. So he's saying enjoy your youth, enjoy every minute of it, do all you want to do, take in everything, but realize you must account you must give account to God for everything you do. So banish grief and pain, but remember that youth was a whole lot. With a whole life before it, you can make serious mistakes. God wants young people to enjoy this exciting time of their lives and to be happy. But being God, he knows that useful ambitions and energies can get a person into trouble. Such troubles have happened many times to young people in God's church. It can happen to God's people when we say God wants us to be happy. So we have to be careful in what we call being happy. Being happy. Thus, with his encouragement, he gives us a general warning. Solomon here says, As young people follow their impulses and desires, they need to realize that God will evaluate all they think and do against his teaching. See, that's why the joy, that's why he says they will come in joy because... The young people we have to instruct the young people of their joy will be a carnal joy and not a godly joy. There's a difference from a carnal joy and a godly joy. A joy is enjoying the wife of thine youth, enjoying a, a marriage, but in but having sex, a uh, divorcing a woman and saying, Well, that's not your soulmate carrying on a a life against the teachings and the principle of God doesn't bring joy. It may bring momentary joy or fleeting joy, but we're getting joy confused with carnal happiness. The things that you delight in may not be godly things. And that's where Solomon erred, and that's where Solomon is telling us to tell you. We're not trying to be an old sourpuss or something and old people trying to kill the young people's joy. But we must be teachers also that this must be brought along in a godly way. So enjoy your life. But remember, you're going to have to give account of the deeds done in your body. So that's why we have to instruct and be teachers of our children. We have to be teachers of all the people. In other words, we have to allow our light to so shine that we won't be killjoys now. We're not killjoys, but what you have in joy or rejoicing in, maybe you have to think about this. Remember we talked about earlier... Our thoughts are not like God's thoughts and his ways. That's from not taking life seriously. See, before this joy, this joy that they will leave with this joy and peace, it has to be a repentance and turning away from self because you're not feeding up on self-ambition and self-fulfillment. The joy can't be at the expense of another's sorrow or rejection or dejection because... We've sown the wrong seeds. Our joy and wealth and riches can't be of oppressing the poor. I was telling you about the laborers that people were denying the people benefits, denying them a pleasant working conditions or whatever. James, the book of James, tell us about the Lord of Sabor where we re- re- redeem these people. He will cause these people to be paid back that you're oppressing that they have brought in from your fields and they've done work, but you have joy and pleasure in life for you to go out and tailgate, for you to live a luxurious life and live wearing the best of clothes, driving the best of vehicles, so-called living your life, your best life now has come at the expense of oppressing another. How did you get in that position of joy, happiness, and wealth? See, because you'll have the teachers and preachers teaching against, talking about, well, what you're saying is socialism. See, because now we have people going against Christianity, going against the tenets, the teaching of Jesus Christ, preaching another Jesus. That's why it says, beware of the doctrine, the teaching and instruction. So as we try to instruct and teach our young people, it applies equally to to all of us of all age groups. We must seek joy and happiness within the boundaries of God's moral standards. We have to seek these within the bounds of God's moral standards. He promises to bring us into account for all of our activities. He promises this. And we know that's why we delight in His Word because He's good for His promises. His words gonna receive, uh, achieve the purpose He sent them to. That's why He's going to send the preachers, the preaching, teach God's Word so that you won't be working contrary to God's Word. Because from one mountain He preached the blessings, but from the other mountain He also preached the curses. Romans the second chapter Romans the fifth through the eleventh verse it says but after thine hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance and well doing seek from seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of person with God. We read that, and a lot of people, amen that, and a lot of people have had that scripture. And how does do the teachers and preachers look at those things? Because there's a lot to be unwrapped from that. Let's read it in another version, just the Amplified Version. Then he says, But because of your callous stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are deliberately storing up wrath for yourself, On the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we see here the church that he's talking to, the people in the church here, already are disobedient and the wrath of God falls upon them. You remember I said that word that's preached to achieve two different purposes? One's going to be to damnation and destruction. One's going to be to joy, repentance, salvation, and peace. The preaching, how are we receiving that word preached? He says, you deliberately are storing up wrath because of your unrepentantness. That's why I said a lot of preachers are not preaching repentance. They may preach prosperity and happiness and all of these other things you may do. But the weightier matters of the law, mercy and forgiveness, repentance and turning from self from self-ambition, from self-morality, from self-pleasure, from all of these things. It says, he will pay back to each person according to their deeds. So, young people, enjoy yourself. But God's going to call you into account for those times. He's going to call each one into account. Justly as his deeds deserve, to those who by persistence in doing good seek unseen but certain heavenly glory honor and mortality he will give the gift of eternal life but for those who are selfishly ambitious and self-seeking and disobedient to the truth but responsive to wickedness there will be wrath and indignation there will be tribulation and anguish torturing confinement for every human soul Who does or permits evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But honor and glory and inner peace will be given to everyone who habitually does good. In other words, a consistent life of well-doing, of doing right. Inner peace and inner joy. But then there's going to be outward tribulation for those deeds that you've done on your body that's not right. See, God has a reckoning time. There's a day of judgment. There's a time of judgment. He says, for God shows no partiality. That is, no arbitrary favoritism. With him, one person is no more or not any more important than another. He doesn't look at nepotism. If he caused his own son to uh, allow his own son to be murdered uh, by the determinate counsel of God, he allowed... Unrighteous men to murder his own son. You will pay for your sin. Jesus paid for our sin. But if we accept Christ, we must depart from iniquity. To receive this joy, to receive this strength, we have to walk in God, in his ways, in the truth. So you have to be obedient child of God, not a disobedient child of God. Let's read that in the Living Version. But no, you won't listen, and so you are saving up terrible punishments for yourselves because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. For there is going to come a day of wrath when God will be the just judge of all the world. He will give each one whatever his deeds deserve. He will give eternal life to those who patiently do the will of God. Remember, Jesus said his nourishment is doing the will of God. We need to do the will of God. Those are the ones that receive eternal life. Seeking for the unseen glory and honor and eternal life that he offers. Notice he says unseen glory. A lot of people want honor and glory here on this life. They want uh, fame. They want to be well-known. They want to be men of renown. That's going to be their downfall. Their pride, their high-mindedness, all those are self-centeredness. All those are self-achieving ideas. But he would terribly punish those who fight against the truth of God and walk in evil ways. God's anger would be poured out upon them. There would be sorrow and suffering for Jews and Gentiles alike who keep on sinning. But there would be glory and honor and peace from God to all who obey him. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles. For God treats everyone the same. He treats everyone the same. So, just as he told Moses. Moses says, no, Lord, blot me out of your book of life. He says, no, Moses, you go about your business. He says, those that sin against me, I'll take care of them. Each man that sins against God. Hebrews 2, 1 and 2. We have to, as we're looking at being free... At forgiveness of sin, we have to also study what the wages of sin that are death, that's eternal death, but how about those that he gave eternal life that are sinning also, but not sinning sins that are unto death. There is a sin that's unto death. So, as Ananias and Sapphira lied unto the Lord and didn't give the right tithe, God made an example out of them, but Everyone who doesn't tithe doesn't necessarily lose his life. That doesn't bring the death penalty. You look at his statutes and laws that it sometimes bring back paying triple fold and double fold when we cheat, lie, and steal and do certain things. Certain things didn't call for the death penalty. You remember David in an unrighteous way about the man who stole the lamb. And David says... That man shall surely die. Because it wasn't David. David was talking like that. But when it was David. David says Lord be merciful to me. Don't let me fall in man. Saying That man should have repaid. Fourfold or sevenfold. That's why when the penalty. Came down to David. For killing Uriah. And sinning against God with Bathsheba. That he says the sword to never leave your house. It wasn't extreme punishment. For David. God determined those. Listen at Hebrews. He says, Hebrews 2, 1-2 through 2 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the words spoken by angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward. Now, if that happened to the ones that heard it through Moses, that heard it by angels, What happened to those that the gospel is being preached to? You remember what he told Paul? He says, Paul, if they don't listen to you, he told the apostles, if they don't listen, shake the dust off of your feet. It'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it was for those people because now you've heard God's word preached. Now, he came down here and died for you to hear for that word preached. And if you reject that what's being said here on earth, think of the punishment you can receive. Mm. If you're not taking the penalty he paid, you will have to pay that penalty. The Amplified says for this reason, that is because of God's final revelation in his son Jesus and because of Jesus' superiority to the angels, we must pay more closer attention than ever to the things that we have heard so that we do not in any way drift away from the truth. That's why it says take heed unto the word. Have an ear to hear. He, it's a very dangerous thing to hear God's word and not take heed to it. Who trampled the word of God underfoot? Preaching is a mighty powerful life saving thing. The power of life and death is there. The hearing of faith. So he, that's why he sent preachers. That's why he charged us to preach the word. It's issue that warning because if you don't the blood's going to be on your hand. If you don't tell them, I'm going to hold you accountable because you should have told them. You knew it and didn't tell them. He says, For if the message given through angels, that is the law God, the law given to Moses, was authentic and unalterable, and every violation and disobedient act received the appropriate penalty, just think of what happens to those that hadn't listened to Jesus Christ. So we must listen very careful to the truths we have heard, or we may drift away. For since these matches have always proven true, and people have always been punished for disobeying them, there's a punishment for disobeying God's word. Every transgression will receive its just recompense or reward. But why not walk in the joy of the Lord? That's your strength to overcome the world. He has given you that power. That's why it says they will leave out with joy and we'll see the manifestation of the sons of God. They will go out with singing and rejoicing, but they will go out proclaiming his word. In this latter day, the reapers will overtake the sowers. The words will be bitten and sowed, but people are not listening to it. If you notice, the gospel is being preached on radio, television, all over the world. The gospel is now you will pay whether you're listening. Or you cannot believe the gospel if you don't want to. But you have to pay a cost for it. Ecclesiastes 12 and 3. Remember now, Thine Creator, in the days of Thine youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when Thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun or the light of the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. Uh, in the Amplified says, remember thoughtfully also you're created in the days of your youth. For you are not your own, but his. Before the evil days come, other uh, the years draw near when you will say you don't take physical pleasure in these things. I have no more enjoyment. So there's going to be come a time when sex is not going to be the same to you. You're not going to be able to take pleasure in enjoyment of sex you may not even be able to have sex. Think about that. The young people that's enjoying themselves, admiring and casual sex, all kinds of B B F best best friend, friends with benefits or whatever you want to say, all of this sexual promiscuity, same sex, all of the things that you're doing and you think that that's joy, that's the joy and the cares of this world. You have to give account unto those things. Now, if there's a repentance of it, if there's a repentance of it, you'll be some of the ones that's coming back preaching God's Word and preaching to the young people and other people not to do those things. I wouldn't cheat on my spouse because... You go run around with this man or woman, and you go think that that's the love of your life, and you go end up with her and leave your wife or uh, divorce your wife or something happens between her, and you go wish you were back where you were. You call yourself enjoying yourself, and this person looked it better. Well, that joy and that you said that you were supposed to be happy, and God wants you happy or whatever. We go find out was that the word of God, the spirit of God talking, or was that? Demons or devils talking, whoever was preaching or teaching. You have to give account for the deeds done in your body. So all of these things, there's going to come a time when your eyes are going to start getting dim and you ain't going to be able to see. A car will be like any car to you. You're not going to take joy, whether it's a Cadillac or Mercedes or Bentley or whatever it is. There's going to come a time you don't take pleasure in food anymore. You're not going to even have an appetite and enjoy food the way you used to enjoy food. You would just be glad just to be able to eat a hard-boiled egg or eat Jello or something. You're not going to want fry foods and all of these delights and everything. The joy, the goodness of life, Solomon is certain that as a person ages, his capacity to enjoy the good thing diminishes. He is underlining the inevitability of the problem of old age. So, but God's people, if you notice, those of us that are in the church and those of us that are getting old, whether you're 60, 70, 80, or 90, enjoy being able to preach and teach the word or tell the word to somebody else, that you're happy to wake up each morning with just health and strength, going about giving out God's word doing these things, staying strong in God. That emotional dimension that we see in the world, older people that abide in God, and I, I'm going to have to stay here. I, was, I still have a few more pages, but I think I'm going to part here. But as you see that what we thought was joy and happiness what joy and happiness, we hadn't learned the listen and our thoughts and ways were not like God's and that these things wasn't from God and that preaching and teaching is what's important and that a lifestyle gets these over. That when you start seeing people that truly been converted, that truly love the Lord their lives is going to produce change. And that's why I say it's united to that 13th Lord verse about the thorn and the thistle. Because a person's... We're trees of life, and I'll use that analogy coming up when I try to tie this in a week or two from now in the Sabbath day service with the 13th verse. But the joy that we're given is being able to serve the Lord. Charles Stanley, I think, was in his 90s, and I've seen a lot of older people that have died, a lot of the older ministers. I was talking to Brother uh, Parker the other day, and he's in his 80s or whatever. But the older people that, that I've been talking to or whatever, they're not in nursing homes or whatever. They're up walking around and doing for the Lord and teaching and walking and living a life for God because... These are the days that, when he was saying that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So serving God the last 30 or 40 years of my life, I thought that I was serving or doing for God when I was younger and in my teens and 20s. But I wasn't. I had an image, a thought of God. But the knowledge of the conversion of God May have started, but I wasn't being strong because there are still things where we gonna to have to give counsel from. That's why I, when I started this off, I said being clothed in Christ—that we have put Christ on, that we have been robed in Him, that He has—we have put Him on. That what verse I was here? I thought it was in the New Testament, but here it is in the Old Testament. The blessings of a spiritual life. It says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom puts on a turban. So as we've been pulling off the old man and putting on the new man, there comes a time when we awaken until the true gospel, until you realize, as Jacob did, that night that he was running from Esau, and he was in Bethany and laid his head on the rock up as a pillar, and the angels descend up and down this Jacob's ladder, and he arose and he says, The Lord God was in this place, and I knew it not. You know, and I know this could happen or has happened. There's going to come a time when our eyes are open or we're going to become aware to take the road less traveled. That God's going to start awakening you. That you're going to have to put away friends and put away and make greater and greater decisions there's going to be just like with Abraham. I don't know when was the defining moment with Abraham, but we see that what he pulled with Pharaoh, saying that Sarah was his wife, just a few years later he pulled with Abimelech, saying the same thing. So I don't know when the point came to, we know that the, the, the con the inevitable point came when God called him the sacrifice Isaac there's a point and a place and a road in our life that we definitely take that road but we know that God's leading us up past of righteousness so we have to take start taking heed to the words we hear each day we come into the church each day we hear God's word preached each time we hear from God to have the time to study and meditate in His Word. That's the nourishment, is to do the will of God. And He opens up our eyes brighter and brighter. And that's where your joy comes from. It's by the strength of God in you to do His will, that ability to do God's will, because He worketh in us both to will and to do. So as you start eating of that daily bread, assimilating that bread, and start thinking differently, God, when our thoughts start being like the thoughts of God, we'll see that each day is beneficial. That salvation is no longer a struggle as it was, but there's joy, unspeakable joy, each and every day there's unspeakable joy coming from and through God. As Peter says in that first chapter of First Peter in the 8th verse, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because this word, you realize it's alive and it's, it's what's starting to power you. Now you can start dying to self. You start dying daily. We start this growth. Each day is a day of joy. That's why when people ask me, how was your day? It's about the same. In other words, I'm starting to see through this glass darkly. Now, all the battles and the things that's going on, I'm happier today than I was yesterday. But that's hard to tell you because I'm not saying emotionally. I'm saying spiritually I'm further alone. Spiritually, I have more joy because I've walked another day, day's journey for the Lord. Heavenly Father, as I come before you, Lord God, oh how much, Lord God, that I want you to preach and teach this word, Lord God, because I feel short coming up, Lord God. It is so tenuous without your spirit, Lord God, that That's why I desire of your spirit, Lord God, and of your leading and prompting and guidance, Lord God, to to add simplicity to it that the hearers, it would go home to the hearts of the hearers and that your spirit would make it real in their life.